0: we're going to start with our memory verse. So, we'll start with our memory verse of the month. Daniel 6:10. So, please recite this with me as we get started. Daniel 6:10. All together. Daniel 6:10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before, Daniel 6.10. We'll talk more about Daniel 6.10 next week. For this week, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, and where I want us to go as we get ready for Daniel chapter 5 is I want us to dig in to a little bit of the backstory. Because Daniel chapter 5 represents a pretty major transition in the book. So let me set the stage for you for just a minute here. We ended Daniel chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar still on the throne. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar seems to have got it. He humbled himself in chapter 4. He seems to finally have realized, learned his lesson on pride, and he humbled himself before God. So Daniel 5 picks up. And it sort of jumps way ahead. So let me give you some backstory from Babylonian history. After Nebuchadnezzar died, his son Abel Marduk, uh, if you read through books of like 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you will recognize him as evil Merodach. That's how they record him in the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Abel Marduk took the throne. Abel Marduk was not the firstborn son of Nebuchadnezzar. Abel Marduk was actually second, and we don't really know why the second born son took the throne. But Babylonian history tells us the second born took the son. After two years, his brother in law, Neraglesar, usurped the throne and had Abel Marduk executed. So Nebuchadnezzar, Abel Marduk, he reigns for a little bit, but his son, or his son in law, has him executed, takes the throne. He reigned for three years until a man by the name of Belshazzar, a general, had him killed and put his father on the throne, his father Nabonidus. So if the drama, you think what in the world is going on, you're right. There's a ton of drama. Nebuchadnezzar's second born son takes the throne. He's killed. The guy who kills him takes the throne. He's killed. The guy who killed him, Belshazzar, puts his dad on the throne and says, Dad, you're now king of Babylon. Kind of a, a big mess. That's where our story is going to pick up. Belshazzar is ruler of Babylon underneath his father, Nabonidus, who was a son-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar. What I want you to see in this text is that Belshazzar does nothing by the book. He does it his own way. He does what he wants, and he takes what he doesn't have. That's the sort of person that Belshazzar is. One theme that is going to emerge in Daniel chapter 5, and we only have one chapter really about Belshazzar, one thing that's going to emerge is that Nebuchadnezzar's old way of doing things is pitted against Belshazzar's new and revolutionary way of doing things. Nebuchadnezzar was a bad guy. At the end, he sort of turns it around, but there's, there's really no debate. He's a bad guy. But there were lines Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't cross. You know, for all of his badness, there were certain things he just wouldn't do. Belshazzar says, those are lines I'm not supposed to cross. Let me blow right through them. And that's the person of Belshazzar. So, with that in mind, I want to tell you a story. Jail and I talk quite a bit on Wednesdays after prayer time. And one of my favorite phrases that J.L. says is he says, you know, we need young people to come into the room and turn tables over. But we need old people in that room to say, don't turn that table over. (laughs) It's true. Youth brings energy. Youth brings new ideas, brings the revolutionary ideas that push things forward. But we need the wisdom of age to say, don't mess with that. You mess with that, it all unravels. That's the thread not to touch. And this is the mistake the Belshazzar makes, is that he starts changing things, and he doesn't realize that no matter what we do, no matter what we change, we must make sure that we never overturn the table of God's honor. Everything we do must honor God. We must never touch that table. So how do we honor God? we must not first forget God. Second, we must make sure that we're always pointing people to God. And third, we must remember that God actually deserves the honor. He deserves it. It's not just that we're told to honor God. He deserves our honor. So we're going to start with the first point, which is don't forget God. No matter what you do, no matter what's happening in life, don't Forget God. Let me start by reading to you from Daniel chapter 5. Let's read verses 1 through 12 as we begin. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles who drank wine and drank wine with him. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, "'near the lampstand in the royal palace. "'The king watched the hand as it wrote. "'His face turned pale and he was so frightened "'that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. "'The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. "'Then he said to those wise men of Babylon, "'Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means "'will be clothed in purple "'and have a gold chain placed around his neck "'and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom.' Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voice of the king and the nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have taken, sorry, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So here's the situation. Belshazzar, ruler of Babylon, throws a party. Actually, there's a lot more background going on here. A lot more background information going on. You see, this fits within the frame of history. And the verses of Daniel 5 all take place on October 12th, 539 B.C. We actually know the exact date that this happens. See, we know the details. And the reality of the passage is that sometimes people forget that God is the God of the universe, not just the God of a local area. He is the God of the universe. He is in control of everything. So the night, October 12th, 539 B.C., the Persian Empire is on the rise. Just a few days earlier, Cyrus, leading the Persian Empire, had defeated Belshazzar's dad, Nabonidus, 50 miles from Babylon. They routed the Babylonian army, and now the Persians are outside the gates of the city of Babylon. Likely, Belshazzar knew this is going to be bad. Likely, Belshazzar recognized, I need to do something to rally the troops. We just lost a pretty epic battle three days ago, and they're here now. So why throw a party? I don't know. Maybe it's to rally the troops. Maybe it's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I don't know. But Belshazzar throws a party. And it's a pretty epic party. He invites the nobles, his concubines. The wine starts flowing. With the empire on the verge of collapse, Belshazzar is not coming up with a beautiful strategy. He's throwing a party. But it's more than just a party. It's a party where he sets himself up for comparison. He compares himself to his grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you're reading in your Bibles, you might say, I thought it said father. The Hebrew word for father means relative, ancestor. So, when we write father in our NIV Bibles, it actually can mean grandfather, it can mean great-grandfather, you can use that term pretty liberally. So, Grandpa, Nebuchadnezzar, let me set myself up against him. How do I do this? Well, remember, Grandpa had conquered these people. They, They had a temple. They called themselves Jews. And in their temple, there are all sorts of gold treasure. You know, Grandpa, he made a mistake. He, he honored the God of the Jews. I'm Belshazzar. I do what I want. Bring in those gold goblets. Bring in that treasure. Let's abuse it. Let's take advantage of this. And this is the way that Belshazzar sets him up. On the verge of collapse, Belshazzar says, let's throw a party. And let's do something incredibly disrespectful to Grandpa's memory. The lines he wouldn't cross, I don't care. He did not realize, I think he forgot. The God, the God he was dishonoring, was the God of the universe. And he failed because of that. Because he wasn't just rebelling against the memory of his Grandpa, he was rebelling against the God of the universe. In fact, in verses 5 through 9, what I see is that even when God clearly reveals himself, people try to use their own wisdom. So, chapter 5 begins by telling us Belshazzar is king of Babylon, he's ruler of Babylon. We didn't really get any information on who he was. And just as if Belshazzar automatically appeared in chapter 5, so in verse 5, a hand appears. No introduction. We're supposed to interpret this as this is the very hand of God. And begins writing on the gypsum palace walls. We know that there was gypsum on the walls because we can excavate these sorts of things. And write some sort of a message down. What is that message? We'll get to that later. But what is important to recognize is that the incompetent wise men in Babylon could not even read it. They had no idea what they're looking at. I want you to understand the significance of Belshazzar's failure here. He would have known the history of Babylon. He would have known all of the circumstances of Daniel 1 through 4, because it would have been recorded for him, of Nebuchadnezzar's interactions with the God of Israel. He would have known these things. So what does Belshazzar do when he is using the artifacts of God's temple in an inappropriate way, and suddenly a hand appears on the wall, he goes to that God and apologizes, right? No, not at all. Belshazzar calls in the wise men who continually have failed throughout the entire book of Daniel and asks them if they can help him out. Even when God clearly reveals himself, we often try to use our own wisdom. But God never leaves himself without witness. And that's what we see in verses 10 through 12. Somebody remembers the past. The queen, probably actually the queen mother, grandma, recalls, you know, Belshazzar, there was a man that your grandpa really, really helped out your grandpa a lot. You know, maybe we should call this guy in. He, he seemed to be particularly wise. He seemed to have the ability To figure things out. God had not left himself without a witness. So what do we do with these first 12 verses? How do we apply it to ourselves? Let me give you an action step. Set yourself up in such a way that you won't forget God. Set yourself up so that you won't forget God. Belshazzar failed. He failed to remember God. What do, does it mean, though, to set yourself up so that you won't forget God? Put structures in place. This might look like putting verses on your walls in your house so that you are reminded when you are in your house, whether that's an elegantly framed verse that you buy at like Hobby Lobby or something like that, or whether that's a piece of paper that you write it down in a sticky note and put it on the light switch. Put Scripture in your house so that you are reminded of God. Identify wise counselors so that there are people in your life that you know you can go to that will tell you, I think that God's trying to get your attention here. I think that this is something where God can help you through this. Give people permission to challenge you, to say, I think what you're doing is profaning something that's holy. I think you need to be careful there. That's a line you shouldn't cross. Set yourself up in such a way that you don't forget God. We're going to go on in the passage, though. In verses 13 through 23, I want us to see that part of honoring God is to be prepared to point people to God. Be prepared so that you can point people to God. Let's look at verses 13 through 23. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now, I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third greatest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered, You may keep your gifts for yourself, and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness, and glory and splendor, Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from his temple brought to you And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drink wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Daniel basically says you should have known better. You should have known better. What's going on? is Daniel is taking advantage of the fact that he is God's servant and the moment. You see, God's servants should look for opportunities to honor God. In verses 13 through 16, we're given Belshazzar's first interaction with Daniel. Notice, Belshazzar wastes no time in belittling Daniel for being a Jew. He refers to him as an exile. Makes a point of emphasizing But Daniel takes the high road on this and gives God the glory. I think we're supposed to read contempt in how Belshazzar addresses Daniel. Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? Are you Daniel? Nevertheless, Belshazzar does make the offer. If you can interpret this for me, I'll make you third ruler in the kingdom. By the way, historical note, remember, we have Belshazzar, we have Nabonidus. So Nabonidus is ruler over the whole area. Belshazzar is ruler over the city. And now Belshazzar is offering Daniel the third position, because that's the highest he can offer him. But Daniel isn't interested in royalty. He's interested in representing God. The same God who changed the heart of Nebuchadnezzar the same God, Belshazzar, who changed the heart of your grandfather. This is the God behind that message. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king who had a great fall. But God was able to restore him. Belshazzar, this is the God who's writing you this message. Notice in verse 17, Daniel declines the honor. No, the honor is irrelevant to Daniel. Daniel. What matters is to represent, to honor his God. But Daniel goes even further than just honoring God. Daniel speaks the truth. In verses 22 through 23, Daniel speaks the truth. He doesn't shrink away because God's servant should not shrink away from the truth. That God deserves the honor. And so Daniel just flat out says it. He explicitly criticizes Belshazzar. He explicitly tells Belshazzar that you should have known better. He explicitly tells Belshazzar that what you thought you were doing was pitting yourself, comparing yourself to Nebuchadnezzar. You've actually pitted yourself against the God of the universe in doing so. Throughout Scripture, God has called people to represent God, to tell people that God alone deserves the honor God's people are continually told to represent God. Samuel did this for Saul. Samuel was called to call out Saul. Nathan did it for David. Elijah did it for Ahab. Jeremiah did it for Jehoiakim. Time and time again, God's people are called to stand for God. To bring others to honor God. So what should we do? How do we respond to this? We need to develop a plan to honor God before others. Come up with a plan to honor God before others. On Tuesday night, uh, we had a a pilots meeting at the airport. And it was really cool because uh, the guy who was chosen to speak, who was uh, a captain for United, uh, and he and I have interacted a fair amount. He is a believer and he got up in the front to talk with the, the big group at the Lincoln Airport. And the first thing that he said is, before I even say anything, I need to say, we need to give God the glory for giving us the opportunity to see his creation. He had developed a plan to honor God before others. In a completely secular environment, he chose to honor his God. Daniel chose to honor his God. We need to develop the plans, and the skills so that we honor our God. I'm not a prophet. You're not a prophet. But it doesn't mean that you haven't been called to point people to God. You see, because ultimately, God deserves the honor. That's why we should be giving the glory to God. It's because he deserves it. It's not just an arbitrary command, not just because I said so. It's because God deserves the honor. Let's look at verses 24 through 31. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. God deserves the honor. Because he alone is sovereign over every individual. The text that's written is Aramaic. I don't know why the wise men couldn't read it. Maybe it was supernatural. God just wouldn't let them. But the text written is Aramaic. The Aramaic words, mene, mene, tickle parson. But the meaning was more than just Aramaic. The first meaning of the word mene that Daniel identifies is that God has numbered the days of your reign. Belshazzar, God is sovereign over you as an individual. God knows your days, Belshazzar. Each of us here need to recognize God deserves the honor because he's sovereign over us individually. He knows what's going to happen to us today. He knows what's going to happen to us tomorrow. He knows the day that we will go to be with him in eternity. He knows every event and he has scripted it out. God is sovereign over our individual lives. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. God deserves the honor because God is the judge. It's interesting. Daniel, which means God is my judge, gets to pronounce this judgment. Belshazzar, God has evaluated you. The judge of the universe has evaluated you, and he has found you wanting. You have failed the God of the universe. God deserves to be honored because he alone is the judge. He's not just sovereign over our lives where he directs our lives, but he is judge over our lives where he can evaluate what we have done with what he has given us. But not just individually. God deserves the honor because he's sovereign over the nations. God is both locally sovereign and globally sovereign. God is not just the God of the individual. He is the God of the universe, the God of the nations. And verse 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. To understand this, it helps to understand the history of the fall of Babylon. Babylon fell 539 BC. The city was under assault by Cyrus. Cyrus. And knowing that this assault was coming, the the people of Babylon actually brought in a lot of supplies. You see, the walls of Babylon were very thick, very tall walls. The city itself was built across the Euphrates River, so the river flowed underneath the walls of the city and through the city, so water supply would never be a problem. So in anticipation of a long, drawn-out battle, the people of Babylon gathered supplies into the city And they gathered enough supplies to last 20 years. They were prepared to wait out Cyrus. Actually, the text tells us Cyrus was 62 at this point. Kind of a good strategy. The general is 62. Well, let's get 20 years worth of food. He's not going to last that long. (laughs) That was the strategy. They were secure. They had ample water supply. The Persian army's outside, but we've got plenty of food. That night, the Persian army began digging. And they dug a canal and diverted the Euphrates River from flowing underneath the city wall to flowing around the city. The army walked in underneath the city wall on the now dry riverbed and wiped out the Babylonian remnant, the army that was left inside the city. Verse 30 tells us, that very night Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Mede took over. The impenetrable city of Babylon that was prepared for a 20-year siege, an unheard of amount of time, fell in one night because God is sovereign. Sovereign. And God decreed it. We need to determine to honor God. We must give God the honor. Belshazzar failed to honor God, and it cost him everything. We should not fail to honor God. Why? Because we know our God deserves it. So don't forget God. Give God the honor because he is sovereign. He's sovereign over you as an individual. He's the judge of the world and he's sovereign over even the nation. So the action step for this, determine one of God's traits to focus on as we honor God today through our celebration of the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna pray in just a minute and then we're going to go into a time of reflection, of prayer and praise as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. An opportunity that we have to show God the honor, a 2,000-year-old tradition whereby we remember that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross in payment for our sins, that all who accept Jesus as their Savior can have eternal life through Jesus. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we honor that sacrifice that was made. But I want you to remember, it is about honor. We show God honor. One of the ways we can do that is by taking time, preparing our hearts, confessing sin, opening ourselves to God's leading in our hearts. I want to tell you just a quick story because God's timing is always amazing to me. You do not need to go to a priest on earth to confess your sins, you can go to God directly. But when I walked in this morning, Wiley, and she gave me permission to tell you all, she asked me, she said, today's the Lord's Supper. Would it be okay if I prayed with you just to confess sin so that my heart was ready to take the Lord's Supper? So we prayed. I want to challenge you. As we go to God in song, pray that God would cleanse your heart, that he would show you areas where you need to grow to bring honor to the God of the universe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you deserve the honor. Father, that is all about you. It is all about honoring you, about giving you the glory. And as we prepare our hearts to partake in the Lord's Supper, May we give you the glory. May we confess areas in our life where we need to turn it over to you. Whether it's a habitual sin, whether it's a pet sin, whether it's an area that we've just sort of blocked off and said, this is my area. I wonder how often we set up an area of sin in our life and we think it's impenetrable. Father, would you break down the walls? Would you divert the river? Come into our hearts and purify us that we might give you the honor as we celebrate the sacrifice that you made. Father, I pray that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.